Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We are excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to All in a Day's Work. I'm your episode host, Miriam Miller, and today we're speaking to Rusman Vokasim. Rusman is an assistant professor of environmental health sciences at the University of Alabama, Birmingham School of Public Health. So Rusman, to get us started today, I wonder if you can share with us what you studied during your time at NYU and what you've been doing since then. So I did my master's and then my PhD in environmental health sciences at NYU and I mainly studied how environmental pollutants impact health. And my focus area was air pollution, so how air pollution will impact your lungs, your health, and so on. For my PhD, uh, my research project was on people who travel to polluted cities abroad and how uh, air pollution in those cities impact health and respiratory symptoms and so on. So when you first started at NYU and, and you did multiple degrees there, you started just arriving from Sri Lanka, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your experience coming to the U.S. as an international student. What was that experience like in terms of any, any transition that you might have had? Yes, it was a big change moving from Sri Lanka to the U.S. It was my first time ever in the U.S. I did grow up in a city. I lived in a city back in Sri Lanka also, so I was used to a busy environment and things being a little stressful but definitely not the scale in the U.S., especially coming to New York for the first time ever. (laughs) I was somebody who liked exploring cities and places. Uh, So I would take the subway to different stations, different neighborhoods in Brooklyn or Queens, and maybe try out food in certain cafes and so on. So I, I did have a good time. Something that was challenging is to get used to the education system here. Because in Sri Lanka, we usually have, at least when I studied, maybe two exams a year. So uh, just some advice for international students. The U.S. system has more frequent exams. So you might need to prepare a little bit more. uh, And you have to start at the beginning of the semester. You have to do the readings and so on. So that took me some time to get used to. One thing that amazed me and one thing that I really couldn't believe sometimes was the resources available at NYU and in the U.S. for research. Uh, Even as a junior researcher, as a student, I would sometimes carry about $20,000, $30,000 worth of equipment in my backpack. And it was available. We could do research. We had really good laboratories and so on. Something that I didn't have back home in Sri Lanka. We did do good research but we were limited with resources. And when I came here and when I saw the equipment and the facilities and the connections available for research, uh, that was something I was really surprised about. So as someone who looks at environmental sciences and public health issues and works at a school of public health, obviously we're in this really interesting moment in public health with COVID and then also sort of more in the vein of some of the things you've done with air pollution. We've had several years of of very intense wildfires, not only domestically, but internationally. I'm curious how you've seen some of these kind of global events influence your approach to research and how they've impacted your work overall. Yes, it does impact research quite a bit. And even in my case, it did impact my research because I work a lot with participants. 
So with COVID, it was very difficult to meet people and recruit. For me, I think the biggest thing, uh, because I was new at UAB, and I think new faculty or new recruits will have this problem is, you know, collaborations. My first month, I used to meet people, meet other professors, try and, you know, collaborate and design projects. But after COVID, that was not possible. So as a new person, your your whole trajectory changes. And especially for me, one of my main areas is looking at air pollution related to travel. So travel has completely stopped. So I, I had to change my entire line of research. So I, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about how you ended up pursuing the career in academia that you have after finishing your PhD and, and, and doing your postdoc. And if you can talk a little bit about how you came to that conclusion. Uh, yes. Uh, so initially I was applying for industry jobs, private companies, some state or government agencies. But so this is, by the way, advice to anyone who is new and who was looking for a job. So most of the time, you know, it's hard, it's difficult to apply. We keep applying for jobs. And as soon as we get a job, we jump into it. It's good, but we also have to ask questions because if you are going to accept that job, you'll be working there for some time and you need to understand what you're getting into, who you're working with, what kind of work you'll be doing. Not to be arrogant or anything, you can still be respectful and humble and ask those questions. And they are very willing to share that information. Uh, So during my interviews, I would ask them, you know, what kind of work I'll be doing, what kind of departments I'll be interacting with, you know, how is it going to change over time and so on. But I always had this interest in research. While I was applying for industry jobs, I also applied to a few universities. And then once I got this offer, something just clicked. I I was like, okay, this is my place. This is what I want to do because I always like research. I'm curious if you can articulate what you think that was and and why you felt like it was going to be the right fit. Was there anything about the campus, the people you met with? What was it that you just felt like this was going to be a really good place for you to grow in this next step professionally? Oh, that's a good question. Yes. Uh, I think it's because for me, I realized that I need an environment where I'm always challenged. I need to research something. So when I spoke to the chair of the department and uh, he was explaining that, you know, it's yes, it's a small department, but they are growing. They are trying to expand their research portfolio and so on. That interested me a lot because I could then have my own research line. I can have my own lab. I kind of wanted to be the person who understand how the wheel works and, you know, how things turn and like the background knowledge rather than using that knowledge to do something, which is also good. But I'm more of a person who likes to know why this happens, how this works. It's important to know that a little bit about yourself also. Industry jobs, I think the main pros are that, you know, there there are so many out there. As opposed to universities, you have a few vacancies that would come out every year. So there are more opportunities available. So if if you're a new person and you're looking for a job, uh, you need something within a short period of time, Uh, Industry jobs is the natural thing you would go for because there'll be so many vacancies and advertisements available. Actually, almost everyone I know at NYU before me, except for one, they all went into industry and they all got jobs fairly easily. So some of them went to pharmaceutical companies, some of them joined cosmetic uh, manufacturing companies, some of them went to places uh, that manufacture things like toothpaste and so on. So 
we don't realize but all these companies they need people who understand the toxicity of certain chemicals that they use uh, they do a risk assessment and so on so the use for the knowledge that we have uh, has expanded and and people are u- using that the other thing also is that if you're starting there's generally a higher pay in industry uh, in academia the problem is that every year the number of vacancies that come out are limited so in my department there were two because if you think about it although the university is big your field of research or your studies are you know it gets narrowed when you do a phd and when you're focused on a particular area of research the time factor is important if you have a postdoc position where you can stay on for maybe 2 3 years sometimes and then apply it actually builds your profile it's better not too long but a generally a longer time as a postdoc helps you with getting a good academic position now things are changing you can you can switch between the two even if you're in academia you can collaborate with industry there are some people who work in industry who would do like lectures and programs for universities um, so i think the the best thing is to explore and see what's out there we'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip from sarah rosenthal At some point, you'll probably need to ask someone to be a reference, whether for a job, grad school, a fellowship, or another opportunity. A reference typically comes in one of two forms. Either you'll need to provide contact information or you'll need to share a letter of recommendation. First, you'll want to decide who the right person is to be your reference. The CEO of the last company you worked for, but who doesn't know you so well, isn't actually as strong a reference as your direct supervisor or a colleague you worked with who could provide specific examples of your skill sets and accomplishments. Also, although a recent reference is ideal, you could consider a reference from an older position if it's particularly relevant. Once you've decided who you want to ask to be a reference, you're going to want to ask them for permission before you reach out to them. Make sure you have some information prepared, including what you're applying for, what kind of reference you need them to be, and probably most importantly, you'll want to make sure you have some information to share with them regarding how you're the right person for this opportunity. That can come in the form of sharing your resume, a cover letter or personal statement, a job description, or even a program website. Just remember that whoever is acting as your reference is giving you another chance to show why you should be considered for this opportunity. This could be a chance for them to fill in any gaps in your application or elaborate on something you don't have a lot of space for. Once you're ready to reach out, you're ideally going to want to approach them in person or by phone. You should know them well enough to make this direct personal approach. References can have a lasting impact on your application, and the right one really can help you stand out above other applicants. So, stay in touch with people you used to work with. You never know when they could be the perfect reference. And now, back to the episode. I'm curious as well because you talked a little bit about your experience moving to New York to think about what this was like for you to move again now to to Birmingham, Alabama. And I don't know if you had connections there or had spent much time there before this, but I'm I'm curious what that transition was like for you after being in New York for so long. How 
it was for you to start over in a new role and in a new city without, you know, necessarily having the the benefit of some of the social things that someone would normally have available to them when we're not in a pandemic. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's important. Uh, and it was a big change uh, moving from such a busy city. And I had made friends. I'd, I'd been there for over six or seven years. So it, it was a big change coming to a smaller city. There was no public transportation. I had to buy a car. And it, like, like you said, also, I, I didn't know anyone here. But I think there was something about the university, the people I spoke to here, uh, and I felt that I, you know, could work with them and be close to them and so on. I think that's one of the good things in a maybe smaller department, although the university is the biggest in this region. Our department is smaller and, and we are building up. So that was something that, you know, you talk to more people, you interact a little bit more. So that was helpful. But but it was a big change to uh, move and then transition to a new work environment also. So would you mind just sharing a little bit about, with your current role, what the breakdown is of your responsibilities? You know, how much time are you spending on research? How much time on teaching or mentoring or grant writing? What does that look like for you? So for me, it's mainly research. So I joined as a research faculty where over 75% of my time is uh, focused on research. So research would include doing the work, plus also applying for grants. So that's part of being a research faculty member. I teach about one or two classes a year, and the rest of it is uh, service. So my focus mainly is designing research projects and then finding the funding for those research projects. So grant writing is, in in fact, a, a huge part of my role at UAB. And I know grant writing is sometimes regarded as this necessary evil that people have when when working in academia. So how do you cope with the anxieties of having to send out many, many applications? Does it feel a little bit taxing sometimes to go through the process? Yes, uh, I have to be honest, it is taxing. I think even for people who have been doing this for a long time, it is stressful and taxing. It is exciting at the same time, especially because, you know, you think of a novel idea, you develop it into a method, you develop a project, you collaborate with people, and there's this very exciting idea. But, you know, once it goes through the review process, and sometimes, you know, you don't get the uh, expected outcome, it can be discouraging. And especially for new faculty, when you don't have grants to your name, and when you have only a limited amount of publications, you're competing with people who are much more experienced and have much better CVs than you. So this is mainly the advice that I got from others and some of the things that I learned. One of the main things is you know, your research idea has to be solid. It has to be a good idea where you have thought out really well and relevant. That's the other challenge with uh, either grants or research is that you have to be current. You know, your research has to be something innovative. It has to be something that's relevant to the current times. Because of that, coming up with a really good idea that can attract the others is is the key thing. Not just submitting, oh, I did five grants, I, I submitted five grants this year. It might be better to really think about two grants, which is a really good idea. And funding agencies will also tell you what they're interested in. So if you plan it out really well and submit a few grants, you have a much better chance. 
the other thing I learned is as a new person, especially, you know, like I said, we have a limited amount of publications. Uh, you have limited research experience to show. But one way you can counter that or you, you can add to your application is you collaborate with more senior people. When I first joined, I had this research idea on electronic cigarettes and how it impacts health. Uh, the first thing I did was I spoke to a few people in the medical school, and there were two researchers who were very experienced in e-cigarette research who agreed to do it. By the way, that's one of the advantages of being in a smaller place, or well, relatively smaller department. You can collaborate a little bit more easily in slightly smaller schools or departments, which they were great, and that helped me a lot with the grant because then their experience plus their reputation adds to your grant application. The next thing is, uh, you know, you have to keep applying. There are so many levels of grants. You can go to the bigger NIH grants. You have smaller grants. And it's good to always apply for the smaller ones so that you have a backup. You get a little bit of money, but that's enough for you to get publications. And then you build up your CV and then you go for the bigger grants. In the meantime, you can also apply for NIH grants. But, you know, you have to have a strategy and plan it out well. But the main thing is to keep applying. And I'm curious, as a person who mentors students yourself, for people who are, are kind of early in their research careers, what advice would you give to a student who's starting out more so in research, who wants to find a mentor, who wants to land a, a position on a research team, or is trying to come up with a great research idea? Is there any advice that you would give to someone like that? Yes. The first thing is, I think, to be bold and confident and make the first move. You know, you have to write that email to a professor or someone who you want to work under or, you know, initiate the process. Uh, the next thing is, I think lots of students make this mistake. They say, oh, I want to do research. You know, I, I like to do research. But that's not enough for a couple of reasons. One is when you write to someone is that they're also very busy. So if they're taking mentees or research students, their time is very limited. And if you don't explain to them what you want to focus on, they immediately lose interest. So doing some homework about that professor's research or what they're doing will definitely push you further. So, for example, one of my students, she sent me an email and said, I'm interested in doing research on air pollution. I read these two publications and I find those areas of research very interesting and I want to help with doing this or recruiting participants or whatever. As soon as I saw that, what happens is you automatically place that student in an area of your research because it's that they have given so much information that you don't have to really think about things and, you know, come back to that email. You can make a decision then and there and say, okay, yes, you know, you can work on my e-cigarette project and you can help with the survey and so on. The other thing that she did right was she said, I have worked with Excel before and I'm good with processing data. So the other tip I can give new people is when you're writing an email to a professor about research, say that you have these skills or you can say that you worked with these scientists and you have so many publications and you're good at, say, a certain statistical software package. You know, you need to convince that person that you're the right person for that. Well, Rusman, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us for our podcast today and for sharing all of your expertise and, and your journey to where you are today. Great. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. 
This has been an episode of All in a Day's Work. I'm Miriam Miller. Thanks for joining us. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log onto our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Miriam Miller with episode guest, Rizman Vilkasen. We're produced by Miriam Miller and Lily Smith, edited by Lily Smith, and created with support from Nia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Dana Rosa, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, Carrie Pannoni, and Sarah Rosenthal. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.